Well, that was interesting. Kind of. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. Today we look back at the Spanish Grand Prix. Now for the third time in a row, Max Verstappen won the race this weekend. But it was 23 seconds or so behind it that was far more interesting. That being the Mercedes cars of Lewis Hamilton and George Russell finishing in P2 and 3. Flexing the muscles of those new, new Imola upgrades, if you will. And an even more impressive finish for Mr. Russell, considering he started in P12. Now this means Mercedes are now second in the constructors. Do they now have the car and the drivers to stay there? Tom, do you want to just repeat that time between... Lewis Hamilton in second and Verstappen just once more. Oh, 23 seconds. 23 That's seconds. 2 3. Yeah, yeah, and he stopped hmm. for an extra pit stop as well. Which is, I think he had 48 seconds, something crazy when uh, he when he crossed that line. And so, well, before he's pitted. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely nuts right between number one and number two that is that is mm. bad <laughs> that's bad um so yeah i can mercedes hang on to that second place i'm not sure i'm not convinced yet but clearly the drivers think that they've got something good going on because what night and day in the attitudes from lewis hamilton and george russell once they finished um <laughs> nearly half a minute behind um, Max Verstappen on on Sunday and they were saying that you know they think it's a good step in the right direction they were asked why you know whether or not Mercedes should have put side pods on the car earlier and um, I think Toto Wolff sort of summarized it the best actually and when he said that we kind of had to had to give it a go at the beginning and then see where that left us which is fair enough but clearly they've given up this is something that I think we spoke about ooh, eight nine episodes ago mm-hmm. how they were going to be putting side pods on and and here it is and clearly they've made up an excellent uh, an excellent chunk of time there so the pressure is now on aston martin because they've dropped that second place i mean it's t- typical isn't it L- last last week we're like oh yeah aston martin will hold on to it and Lance Stroll's terrible Lance Stroll has a great qualifying and <laughs> mercedes overtake aston martin <laughs> so i don't know it seems like everything we're saying is is going to be wrong uh, McLaren are the worst team this year. Mm. Mm. Uh, well, let's see if I can jinx that particular prediction. So, mm. yeah, I think it's, it was mm. absolutely great, though, to see them uh, very, very competitive. And will they be able to catch up with first place now is the question. The, the answer to that is most certainly no. However, 
I I can't I I can see a fantastic battle coming out now between Mercedes and Aston Martin. And maybe mm. Angus, this is the solution to Stroll being the puppet dog. Maybe now that there is a realization that they've lost that all important second place, he's now going to grab the bull by the horns and and take the fight to well maybe we could say the best driver pairing on the grid mercedes mm-hmm. do you think they've got that quite possibly yeah possibly i mean i think first of all before i comment on mercedes at any point i'd just like to acknowledge some next level sandbagging from lewis hamilton who after practice mm. on friday said i don't think we'll make the top 10 in qualifying i think it's looking like <laughs> a struggle and then uh, come Sunday, they're sitting there second and third on the podium. Another double podium, which is more of a rarity for Mercedes in the last year or two, based on their drop in performance. But I think it's safe to say that if you discount Red Bull and the fact that Verstappen won with ease and that Perez came through from the midfield to finish fourth, if you discount them, that's a very strong result for Mercedes to be well clear of Aston Martin to be well clear of a Ferrari, if we discount Charles Leclerc, because he was started well back, to be well clear of a Ferrari who started ahead of them by some, well, the Hamilton was 21.6 seconds ahead of science by the finish. That's very encouraging for Mercedes. On a track where the characteristics are more like the rest of the calendar, because you have the sort of high to medium speed corners, for example, that last corner, which has been reshaped from the chicane, you have the slower speed corners, a couple of hairpin turns on that track. After the start of the season where before we went to Catalonia, we'd had five, arguably six, uh, four, arguably five, if you include Australia, street circuits. So the characteristics of certain cars did not come out as much. That's especially true of the Mercedes. And it possibly, with hindsight, helped a team such as Aston Martin and maybe covered over some of their weaknesses. But, yeah, very strong weekend for Mercedes. Aston Martin would be their direct rival, and they've now overtaken them in the Constructors' Championship simply because it's a weekend where Mercedes got 33 points. Aston Martin came away with only 14, which in the end was going to be enough to overhaul the deficit that was already there. Very encouraging for Mercedes. Can they maintain this? My gut would say yes. But I'm only saying that because the upgrades are are working. If the upgrades had had a poor weekend, I probably would be sitting here right now and saying how it's not looking good for them, that they need to up their game. We've got another circuit coming up, which is it's more traditional than other street circuits, but Canada, Montreal still got street circuit characteristics at its core, so it's going to be difficult to tell. But after that, you've got a series of tracks, Austria, Silverstone, Budapest, Spa, Zandvoort, Monza, those six sort of European races are all going to, I think, possibly show the the strength of the Mercedes upgrades and how there's a possibility that they could maintain their, their strong showing from this weekend and keep it going. For Aston Martin, I think, I don't, it shouldn't be concerned, right? Because they've already got like double the amount of points they had last year already after seven races. So for them, mm-hmm. this is already a phenomenal improvement. I think for them, it'll be a case of trying to sustain under pressure from Ferrari. If I look at the finishing order from this race, they were a good 40 seconds off the Mercedes. They were 
there was a bat there's a from sixth down to twelfth on the final standings. There's twelve seconds covering them. And included in that is Aston Martin. You've got the Alpines there, you've got Joe, you've got Leclerc coming through, and you've also got Yuki Tsunoda and Oscar Piastri and Lick De Vries didn't finish too far behind, albeit a lap mm-hmm. down. So it's interesting how Aston Martin have slipped closer to the midfield, I'd say, mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than Mercedes. Does this mean they're in the midfield now? What do you think? Are they going to be in the midfield for all the t- maybe the top of the midfield? I would go as far to say as I think the Constructors' Championship as is will pretty much finish as it is uh, come the end of this season because I think that the power that Mercedes have, the experience, everything there, the experience there of winning many world championships for years to come and learning from their mistakes will put them in good kilter to usurp Aston Martin who've done very well, stolen a march on many a team but I think now we're starting to see that it's one thing to go and develop a good car at the season at the start of the season, sorry, and another thing to keep on developing it and keeping up with the rest of the pack and moving with the times. And I fear, looking at this race in isolation, that maybe Aston Martin is starting to dip a bit in terms of their performance, not showing the quality they did at uh, Saudi Arabia, for example, or Australia. So I think that coupled with the inconsistency of uh, the driver pairings as well, granted Stroll, credit where it's due, did a very good race this weekend, a strong finish, but arguably that needs to be more of a consistent showing that needs to be more than just a patch or a, a series of races compare that to the Mercedes pairings of Lewis Hamilton and George Russell I think that Lewis Hamilton's form has gone under the radar somewhat really he's got two second places beating his teammate there George Russell after a sluggish uh, season yeah, last year compared to his normal standards I think he's one to watch come the end of this season I don't think they'll be challenging Red Bull come the next few races, but maybe once again in Brazil, looking at Abu Dhabi, for example, the American Grand Prix, that could be when Mercedes come into their own and have a chance at least of winning a race because a couple of the Mercedes upgrades with the Red Bull penalties, which are coming, maybe I'm an optimist, but that will perhaps draw the two teams closer together than the current gap we have here of nearly half a minute. But maybe that's a bit optimistic. But, um, Yes, I think the battle now for third is between Aston Martin and Ferrari. Maybe even Alpine as well, because consistently they've been getting some good points. And um, that is what pays dividend, really, isn't it, really? But uh, but yes, a strong showing for Mercedes, but premature to say they're back, as I've heard. Yeah, it definitely elsewhere. is. You can't, after, I think, one race, we'll, we'll evaluate it as it goes forward. And the other thing to note, I think, really, is it's taken a long time for Mercedes to get to this point, and, and this particular stepping stone has been stepped. They've made a... Uh, mm. Certainly an excellent push forward as they've, I don't want to say copied the, the most popular design or the best design, but you know, they, they are bringing in the design cues from the, the other cars as we just sort of expect. And other car, other manufacturers will be bringing their own upgrades. I don't know if you specifically saw the Ferrari have, lo- have lost their sort of bathtub style side <laughs> pods and um, now have like a, now a smaller cutout. It looks more like a drain pipe. Um, for some reason, whatever reason they've they've progressed that forward. So, what I mean is, you know, Mercedes have only just got here, and if they're matching, and I'd say, you know, Aston Martin's performance, then how long till Aston Martin bring their own upgrades and optimize their performance further? And they've poached a lot of very good engineers from Red Bull, and that means that they do kind of have the expertise and the knowledge there to, to keep progressing the car forward so 
this was a particularly odd track, I think. We had a lot of mix-ups, I think, perhaps, and we that we weren't expecting throughout the weekend. And clearly, this one, for whatever reason, just favoured Mercedes. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Aston Martin's excuse, if you want to know, was that they were suffering from a lot of degradation. And we know that Spain is a high-degradation track. It's long, fast, right-handers. It you know, really does scrape away those tyres. And clearly, they just couldn't optimize for the the track conditions but that cannot be applied to every single race it would be really nice wouldn't it if um red bull weren't able to optimize their car to a, a race at some point during this season now that monaco's gone i can't really think of one that they're going to struggle at but hey there we there we have it but it would be great if we can ignore the first place it would be fantastic if we had a bit like we had in 2021 which is two evenly matched cars head to head for that well whatever the top position is in in this case it's kind of second because first is already gone it'd be wonderful wouldn't it if we had hamilton versus alonso the battle the duel in the desert at the very end so if you were coming away from spain thinking blimey that was a bit dull i'm gonna switch off formula one now forever because this is just pointless then my suggestion is look at some of the other positions and and pick one that you really want to see the fight for because there was a lot of excitement going on it just so happens that it's just not going to be in in first place for for a little while i i'm very excited to see aston martin versus mercedes it just sounds really cool i think that fight if only mclaren were Mm. there too (laughs) i think that the um go back to one of tom's points about the penalties that red bull have as well I think one factor of the season which may become more of a reality is that at some point it's the luxury a team can have when they are far enough ahead. Red Bull may get to a point midway through the season. They may already have got to a point where they think, right, we are far ahead. We can, give or take, scale back a bit of development this season and focus on a strong start for next season. So I think as a result of that, Mm. you may therefore get a close competition. You may get Red Bull pushing less because they think they got the championship wrapped up which realistically will come to fruition and Mercedes close in a bit more on the other hand you might get what happened last season where Ferrari for example got to kind of gave up and went oh forget this this championship's over let's focus on the next season that hasn't quite worked has it but it'll be interesting <laughs> yeah, oh, not no. at all but it'll be interesting to see if the, either of those scenarios happen I think that's it's a, definitely a possibility mm-hmm I think on that point, if you're Red Bull, the optimal or ideal scenario for yourselves is you win the championship by the summer and then essentially, as you say, turn all attention to, to next year, really. There's a question about whether they can do that in both championships. I think looking at the drivers, that's more likely than the constructors, owing to the fact that they can control the variables a bit more there, i.e. second place is Perez and third place is currently Alonso, but I'd hazard a guess saying Mr Hamilton and maybe Mr Russell will have a go at that one. Compare that with the Constructors' Championship, but of course you are one team versus another team. So, um, yeah, and obviously that costs, or that is 
resulting in a lot more prize money as well. That is the most important championship. So I think that may be the plan. That's maybe why the upgrades that for themselves, Red Bull is coming in at the moment in terms of the reliability and performance, hoping to go and just beef up that gap as much as possible, front load the upgrades, if you will, and then ultimately allow the other teams to catch up a bit more towards the end of the season while they focus on next year and the penalties pay dividend. That's, of course, on the presumption that the penalty does affect them as such because they've already been penalised in terms of the wind tunnel time for example in addition to the financial penalty and then they are half a minute beyond anyone else and there's nobody really at the moment breaking away from the pack to challenge them it's between Aston Martin and Mercedes as we say so um maybe blue sky thinking there but um it's nice to see a battle hotting up this season because rewind a few races I thought well here we go it's going to be Verstappen Perez, Alonso are the top three, but I think that era is now done and dusted, at least for this season, but maybe I'm just looking at this race and this circuit and result and going, oh, well, you know, this has got to be the season now, right? But um, yeah, interesting. Reasons to stay on, as you say, Tristan. Mm, absolutely. I mean, Red Bull are a second ahead, a second a lap, and that from mm. Spain's their estimations, which... You know, I think, although when you look at the big picture over 60 laps, it ends up being something like, you know, 40, 50 seconds. But a second, you know, we can make that up. And that that gives me some hope. A second's not too bad. And there is always the possibility, because it's happened before, that a team makes a mistake. You know, Red Bull Mm. will be trying to upgrade their car. They know that there is a little bit more they can push out of it. And with reduction in wind tunnel time, you know, they they may well be adding upgrades to the car that does not push it as you know far forward as they would like, and other teams catch up, and eventually that second turns into eight tenths and six tenths, and eventually you get the twenty twenty one scenario. What we want really is it to happen really really quickly, and unfortunately, you're, those that penalty Tom that you're outlining for Red Bull will not last forever. Mm. Uh, I kind of dread what's going to happen in 2025 when mm-hmm. Red Bull should be f- back to full kilt, right? And mm. without any issues. So I think now is the opportunity for everyone to really crack out their, those etcher sketches, start <laughs> taking as many pictures as they can. Perez can just lift the car and get the car lifted high up into the air yet again. Williams can start using computers to get their floor done because, my goodness, I don't know if you saw it the weekend, the, the bottom of the, the Williams car. I mean, James Vowles said that he was surprised that Williams just weren't always using computer aids and compare that mm-hmm. to Mercedes and Red Bull. It's just absolutely nuts. So, yeah, it'd be very, very good, right, if, um, if, if everyone could catch up a little bit. But they've only got a year maybe a year and a half, two years by the time the the, penalty, the effects of the penalty finally leave Red Bull to, to get the cars forward. And But it's only a second. It's only a second, right? Second is mm-hmm. ugh, a mere second. <laughs> it's difficult to say, I realise, looking into the future and I suppose sort of presuming that things will carry on as they are. But do you think we're going to return back to a a fight between Red Bull and Mercedes for the championships, be that the constructors or the drivers, or could we possibly have a three-way fight or something completely different? Who knows? But Ferrari wants something to say about it, don't they? Mm. And um, Mm. I don't know about you, Angus, but I think if Ferrari aren't in it in the next 
year, two years, I think they're going to have a problem in their hands with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz because we said about the problems last year and the tensions bubbling up, but I think that not only tension will bubble up, but maybe they could leave. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can't lie, the Lewis Hamilton rumours we had from a couple of weeks ago, they've definitely died down. But, yeah, you're right in saying that there's definitely a possibility that those drivers move on. I think that I think you do have a scenario. It's one strength of the Formula One grid at the moment. You have a lot of talent on that grid. I think it's safe to say you have when you have drivers like Leclerc and Science, a team like Ferrari. Even looking at Alpine with Ocon and uh, Gasly, strong lineup there. Lando Norris at McLaren. Uh, someone like Alex Albon at Williams, just to cherry pick some uh, an example. There's lots of talent up and down the grid, not just filtered into those top teams. So, and then you got Stroll at Aston Martin. Sorry, that was really I didn't have to say that. But <laughs> really, yeah, a bit harsh, but I'll put it in there anyway. But the the point being, there is you have scenarios where drivers like Leclerc and Science will want to be in those winning cars. But it's interesting because will they be able to get a place higher up the grid? Not necessarily. There may be a gap. When Hamilton retires, when will he? Re- who knows when he will retire? To be honest, he could go on for a few years yet, like Alonso has uh, has managed to do. I guess Perez, if he ever doesn't, be, if he ever stops being flavor of the month at Red Bull, uh, there's mm-hmm. a possibility of that. If he's ever been flavor of the month, hmm. might be a free seat there. But it's it's tricky. It's tricky. I say that these two did did uh, agree to multi year contracts with Ferrari. Uh, a few years ago, so they made their own bed, so they got, got to lie in it to at least the end of 2024. But yeah, they'll um, they'll be possibly looking at the current state of Ferrari. They'll be itching to itching to get out of those contracts. They're just in a car which is just not delivering, and mm-hmm. the fact that Charles Leclerc after qualifying, um, what was the comment he said? He said, um, "In any corners where you have to turn left, the car didn't really do that well." <laughs> little, yeah. little, little bit, little, little bit concerning that because usually it's usually about fifty-fifty. That <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you have you a quick look at the track now in Spain? There is, I make it five. Well, actually, it's not too not too bad. Five corners where you turn left. It's quite a lot where it's not doing too well. Maybe explains why he came nineteenth in the running order. Only ahead of Logan Sargent. So, yeah, I mean, and they've only scored points. They've only So Ferrari have only scored points with both cars in four out of seven races, which is not not good. And they've only been on the podium once in seven races. That was Leclerc who somehow took pole in, uh, in Azerbaijan. That, that seems years ago, by the way, that pole position. But, yeah, it's not ideal for Ferrari. I'm still waiting for this big reset that they were talking about. Admittedly, maybe I'm being too um, too cynical too early, but yeah, they uh, need to step it up, don't they? Or else they could lose their drivers at some point because their drivers will get be getting a bit um, a bit tetchy and a little bit wondering, well, wondering what's going on. Unfortunately, looking from the outside in, and we've alluded to this before, but I think it's worth saying again, they're falling back into the modi operandus of, well, we've always got next year. Uh, and that can only wash for so long, can't it, really, when you've got drivers like Leclerc, who's been going into that team at a young age, promised success, got a taste of it, a glimpse of it one season, and then the team self-imploded. So 
I think we need to go and see something from Ferrari soon. I'm not expecting them to be challenging Mercedes, you know, toe to turf, you will, pound for pound. I don't expect them really to be winning races, but I expect them to be there or thereabouts. And roughly speaking, aside from signs at the start of this race, where he did, let's be fair, challenge Verstappen off the start, granted he was on the better tyres, we didn't really see too much from Ferrari full stop, really. And I think... That's quite concerning because even in the days of 2021, for example, when they just sort of emerged out of that dreadful season uh, in the COVID-inflicted years owing to that penalty they had, they were always there at qualifying and then were perhaps not there when it came to race pace, but getting decent points. But if you're not qualifying well, which seems to be their strength, then what do you have? Well, very little in in the realms of Leclerc, for example. Yeah, isn't it a shame that they didn't crack out the incredible qualifying when it matters at Monaco, right? The, mm-hmm. the one time, but that's that's the beauty of Monaco, isn't it? It makes everyone go to the the next level of performance. Ferrari, you're right, were sort of nowhere, and it was a shame because Science clearly at his home race was hoping for the best possible result, which in this case was second place, given the the torpedo that is that is you know, the Red Bull car, incredible speed, and and he nearly had it. And then Ferrari sort of, I don't know, Ferrari'd him. It was a bit <laughs> of a bizarre race for Ferrari. They just kept moving on backwards. Charles was not making any inroads either. And and what's more, I just don't feel like they had the the strategy. I mean, Leclerc, right. So Leclerc, Leclerc started on the hards from the pit lane because he qualified in P19. And so he thought, well, we may as well change everything on the car as well. So he starts from the pits. And then he picked on lap 17. Leclerc should have been going into lap you know, 30, maybe. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, and in, Leclerc was even surprised. We came onto the radio and he said, oh, right, so you're, we're pitting. They're like, yes, we're pitting, we're pitting. And he's going, okay, all right, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> and it's the same with science as well. Science, it feels like Ferrari say, hey, science, hey, we're thinking about pitting you. And the science, like, does the, are you sure? Is, you know, have we thought about this? And then Mm-mm. they're kind of like, oh, well, maybe we consider it some more. Oh, yes, actually, we've decided we do want to pit. You know, and it feels like the drivers don't trust the Ferrari strategists at the moment which is incredibly damaging to Ferrari and and not in any way, you know, Fred Vasseur's fault. I think it's still the same old problem. The problem that I think we've been shouting, hollering from the rooftops for the last three years, which is they need proper change in management, in management structure all the way down. They've only been, you know, they've been knocking off the heads of the team principals, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and no yeah. one else. Yeah. So they just have the same thing over and over and over again. You know, you can change the chef, but the knives are blunt. You're still not going to be able to cut very well. Mm. So true. So true. And talking about changes, then we can't leave this episode or conclude it without talking about the Spanish Grand Prix, the circuit itself, having a slightly different circuit layout. Uh, the chicane towards the very end of the lap was out and replaced by a sweeping left-hander. A welcome change, do you think, or maybe not? Yeah, I think so overall. It was well received by the drivers. It's made the track a few seconds faster, which is, well, faster is not always a good thing, but on this occasion it seemed to be the case. Um, It made the track more interesting. I think as well we saw actually a, a decent uptake in overtaking. I know that one of the criticisms 
having done a bit of research, one of the criticisms of the last corner, when it used to be, so for context, it used to be flat out or near flat out, and then they brought in the chicane about 10, 15 years ago to increase overtaking. <laughs> um, and then at the time, it was said, because, I mean, the cars were very, those are some of the fastest F1 cars ever, and they were didn't have overtaking in mind as much as the current generation of cars do. Those cars back in the late 2000s were some fastest ever. So therefore, it was nigh on impossible to follow a car through a corner, and you kind of just, the spectacle was kind of, you just accepted, you went, whoa, this, like, these cars are so fast. And you kind of accepted overtaking would be a little bit lower than other tracks. So they brought the chicane in to improve the racing, but that also meant that the actual track suffered. The chicane was very fiddly, um, didn't give much to the overtaking, and it was for years at a request that it was got rid of. And thankfully, I think it has been got rid of because it was, it was very fiddly. You had to break down to like 50 miles an hour. The curbs are very bumpy. A bit like the, um, the old um, Singapore sling chicane, what they uh, used to call it, the one where you'd literally go... Was it left, right, left, bouncing? Yeah, the curves, bring it back. So fiddly. That's what I say. And the, well, they replaced <laughs> it with a Singapore's a different one because there's not really a, too many overtaking opportunities there, and they replaced it with a just a smoother left-hander um, to make sure that the the track felt better to drive. Nightmare yeah. for Charles Leclerc, a left-hander, but <laughs> any left-hander corner. But at the same time. At the same time, I think the change definitely has been well received, and it's made the racing. But I saw noticeably there seems more be more overtakes than I remember in Spain for a while. So, yeah. would you like to know I how many there were? Ooh, go on. There were sixty-five overtakes at this year's Spanish. That seems like a lot. Yeah, it's it is. One it's, per lap, the, it's the roughly. most overtakes um, we've had in a very, very long time. Uh, well, since since twenty thirteen, to be precise, when there were seventy-four. If you want more context, I'm last year had 48, 2021, 51, and 2020, just 32. Jeez. Mm. Jeez. Yikes. Glad I was out that day. Blimey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's long overdue, basically, a change like that. Um, but I think we can be a bit more ambitious. And what I mean by that is we can have a Madrid street circuit. We can have a more entertaining circuit than this because I understand that it's good for research, testing. Hence, testing was here for many a time. But in terms of the spectacle, there's only one or two places really you can plausibly, as drivers did this weekend, overtake on. And I call me old-fashioned, call me a man who wants to be entertained while watching Formula 1. I like a bit more of uh, chances to overtake in different parts of the circuit, really. So... It's welcome, as I say, but if we're going to be a bit more ambitious, why not go for a brand new circuit in Madrid, which I hear isn't a done deal yet. There's still some question marks over that and whether that will happen. So um, maybe those who own this circuit here in Barcelona have done a very good case for saying to Formula One of the powers that be, keep us. There's more overtaking this year than ever before, and there'll be more next year. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, but yeah, it was helpful, but no more than that, really. Well, I thought it was very good. I th I think it was much, much needed for this Spanish Grand Prix. I think the you know, Circuit de Catalunya is historically a very average track. Part of the issue is because they do testing there. And as a result, by the times the teams... Well, historically, they used to do te testings there, I guess, because now they don't. Um, but they mm. used to do testings there. And that meant that by the time the team came to actually drive the circuit, 
they all knew how to perfectly set up the car. And so we had that element of everyone knowing that it was high degradation and how the tyres would react. Okay, so everyone's going to be on these stops. Oh, right, so everyone's starting on, on the mediums and no one's going to get it wrong. And there was that element of predictability because we'd done testing. I still think mm. that testing should be done at a completely different circuit. Something like Megallo yeah. would be a great circuit to do testing at. Just somewhere that they can get their name in there. Say that we're an F1 track. Maybe the reserve huh yeah yeah there we go and now then um we don't have the predictability of a of a track that every team knows how to set the car up um mm-hmm. and as a result of the changes we saw well, over the last couple of years because they also don't, don't forget they also um altered the the final sector a bit two years ago and these changes mean that cars can definitely follow closer and in theory, way more chances of overtakes, which we definitely saw. And it felt like people were overtaking up and down the the track. It was um, it was fantastic to see fights for P eighteen. You know, De Vries versus Bottas was fun, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, all the way up to the the you know, the fight for fourth place and and. It was nice to see Perez with the opportunity to, to fight his way back through. Okay, granted, he shouldn't have been at the back in the first place, but there's there's no getting away from the fact that Perez was able because of the changes to get up the up um you know up the the field, and we shouldn't detract from that. So I know uh, there was a few people on on you know online and on Twitter and whatnot feeling like this was a bit of a snooze fest, but. The issue is, is it's very uninteresting if you just look at the front yet again. And, and that's unfortunately just the sport we're in. I would like a Catalonia um, track to be paired with a, a Madrid street circuit. I think that'd be really good for um, for Spain. I think it'd be really cool to have that. I, I think we should keep Barcelona now that they've changed these, these rules. But it'd be nice if we could have a very accessible track. And what's really nice about street tracks as opposed to the the you know, the dedicated circuits is is it's a little bit easier to get to them if you don't if you've ever been to the circuit de catalonia it's not actually in barcelona it's a bit of a way out and you have to basically take the train there or a bus or something and it's a little bit of a trek whereas the street circuit in madrid would be really nice because i feel like we everyone could get to it i could get to it really easily you know, stay in madrid and walk down or whatever so yeah i, I think that Spain has definitely shown that it can fix the track it's got, but I wouldn't be opposed to a a second one going forward. No, I think that's much needed as well, really, because while we've got many circuits in different continents, uh, nearly all of them, really, which is as it should be, I don't think we should forget how important Europe is to Formula One in terms of not only fans, but manufacturing as well, the birthplace of Formula One and, and Wentzforth, really. And I think it's difficult when you hear talk of Spa being dropped for a South African Grand Prix, although I understand that talk of that is now called uh, into the country's uh, diplomatic and geopolitical relations with Russia. Um, but yes, I think the idea of having two Grand Prix in one country that's not the US would be a great idea, really, because if I'm not mistaken, aside from Italy and the US, there's not one country that holds or has held two Grand Prix. Is that right? Yeah, I think no one else. But anyway, talking about this Grand Prix once again, only one in Spain, and one person who did rather well was... Guan Yu Zhou going from P13 to finishing in P9. Valuable points there for Alfa Romeo. 
not somebody was spoken about too often because if I may be maybe so plainly speaking about him, not done too well this season or dare I say the season gone by as well, but valuable points and uh, proving some doubt is wrong there maybe. Yes, and we haven't spoken to him about him very much or we haven't spoken to him either, but uh, we haven't spoken about <laughs> him in much longer and it's it's nice, isn't it? It's nice to be speaking about Joe, Joe in, a, in a bit of a positive way and he actually made an impact and it was it was... I think a lot of the focus is being on Valtteri Bottas, but for it's very important for the Alfa Romeo brand and the and the Sauber brand as well underneath that to have you know a, a prominent Chinese driver at the moment that's doing very well because for Audi who's about to come into the sport and pair with Sauber, they've been doing a lot of work um, launching their their F1 poster campaign in China. And it's felt a little bit like they've been, you know, bolstering that side of it up. And their, you know, their their premier Chinese driver has not been necessarily putting in the performances that we would we'd have liked to see. But I think we there's no detracting from the fact that at the moment, Zhou clearly is demonstrating why he has got that seat. And I think Tom earlier you said that Bottas was slowly morphing into Kimi Raikkonen and. You know, maybe that's correct. Maybe the mm. the ties are changing. Bottas had held the sort of top spot of, of those two drivers for a while, and it's great to see that Joe's uh, maybe finding his feet just a little bit, which is going to be, as I say, incredibly important as Sauber tries to move forward in the constructor standings, especially as they now pair with Audi. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was really important for Joe to get some more points under his belt. Um, credit to him where credit's due, though. He did, score, did, of course, score a P9 finish in Australia, so not his first points of the season. Scored points more often, i.e. in two races, to, to Valtteri Bottas' one. So in that regard, he's doing better than him in terms of individual finishes, but is level on points with him. So not a lot of success for Alfa Romeo so far this season, but it's nice to see it's coming from both sides of the garage if you will because I think there were questions which I think were unfair but were maybe morphing into some truth that Joe was not a pay driver but was there because of the finances he brought to Formula One because of the new markets he helped to open up over in China for example that had been not closed down but diluted dare I say with Covid and everything going on there so the fact he's able to go and put some good results in there and show everybody why he's worthy of a Formula 1 seat is important. If I were to go and balance that out, I'd say to get a P9 in the manner that he did, i.e. getting a very, very lucky penalty to his advantage and being a bit, well, wimpish really to the stewards and going, oh, he pushed me off onto tarmac with no damage and really didn't really turn into the corner, I think is not the best uh, mode of practice. But um, credit where it's due, a P9 finish. And um, fingers crossed for Alfa Romeo, my former prediction of how they do the season. There's a bit more of this, really. But um, there's still room for growth when it comes to him. He's 24 years old. I don't think he'll be somebody who's going to be challenging for world championships in his Formula 1 career. But a good driver, really. And I think comparisons with someone like Mazepin is deeply unfair looking at this Grand Prix in isolation and indeed in Australia as well and to be fair he's been quite even with Bottas when it comes to race finishes as well not a situation where you have Bottas let's say in P11, P12 and he's down in P18, P19 it's been both of them having a few highs but unfortunately more lows so far. So I take it that you disagree with the uh, Sonoda penalty I thought it was harsh, yeah. Really? I don't think he... Yeah. yeah, I do. I do, yeah. Because 
in terms of what I define as running a drive off the track, granted he wasn't between the, the white lines, but it was on to tarmac. He re- rejoined safely. No damage was done. No time was lost. Uh, yeah, I, I, if that was me, I'd be I'd be fuming at that personally. Because I know Angus will disagree with me after this, so I'll I'll get my uh, two pence in and then um, <laughs> yeah. I I disagree with the premise I've seen a lot, which is that there was no damage done. No, he didn't push him off. Blah blah blah. And the reason for that is because if you look at the what the penalty was given for, it was for pushing a driver off. That was obviously and clearly alongside another car. And if you go back and watch the replay. <laughs> Joe was actually ahead of Sonoda in the apex of the corner, which by the steward's definition is the place in which the car must be alongside, significantly alongside or ahead, in this case ahead. And then Sonoda drifts out. Yes, he had his steering lock pretty much fully on, but you know, that's understeer for you and pushes him off out over the white lines, which has a significant knock on effect determining whether or not he'd be eligible for another penalty, which is the after the black and white flag going outside of of um, the racetrack boundaries. So when you say there's no harm done, well, actually, there is harm done. Imagine if someone had pushed Verstappen off the track and he was in those last last couple of laps, right, when he was on his last warning before a pe- time penalty for going outside of track boundaries. But nobody wasn't though, i.e. it wasn't one of those your final strike and they need to get sanctioned. But that doesn't matter. More... The point is is he would have lost a strike. True, but I think it was more a racing incident. If we're dishing out penalties for that, then I don't want to say Formula One's gone soft, but it's gone very much clamped down on anything that's close to contact, really. So I think it was a bit a bit harsh. Yeah, but he was uh, my point is he's ahead. And uh and that is it was within the rules and everyone signs up to the rules, so I I don't know. I thought there was a lot of whinging about a penalty that was clear and obvious in my, my mind. Tristan, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to disagree with you shockingly. <laughs> disagree with my disagreement. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I think it it wasn't a penalty. I think that it was the first instant I mean it's the first instance, sorry, that we saw of that on the T V screens of those two going into the corner that way. Joe was it was a racing instant. He was not even really pushed off. He ended up going onto a tarmac runoff, rejoined the race. I think it was harsh, personally. I think Sonoda has, uh, or yeah, did have reason to be a little bit annoyed with the, well, more than annoyed, uh, because it cost him two points. And who knows, come the end of the season, those could be critical to Alpha Tauri in their titanic battle for ninth with Williams. Um, they could be. They could have been three points clear of Williams, but yeah, I, I thought it was harsh personally. Um, so, although whilst I agree with Tom, Tom, could you please just remind us what your prediction was about um, Alfa Romeo? Seeing as last year I had to constantly repeat my Alpine. Yeah. <laughs> could, yeah. you, could you please remind us remind us of your Alfa Romeo prediction? That'd be a pleasure. Uh, P four on the constructors, I believe I said. <laughs> Yes. Right. Okay. There you go. That is that is that is all. It's on the record, anyway. Anyway. Uh, if you aren't up to date with the uh, latest uh, constructor standings, they are currently in eight. But they're ninety-two points behind Ferrari, so you never know. <laughs> hey, that's. But in fairness, they might be ninety-two points behind Ferrari, but Joe was ahead of Charles Leclerc in a Ferrari at the end of this race. Which I, yeah, if you if I, you was. gave me a bingo card with that on it, I would not expecting to be ticked that one off. Yes, that's fair. Yeah, mm. with Joe starting in thirteenth and Leclerc in nineteenth, I would actually say with this drive from Joe, I think this was more impressive simply because 
if if we were to compare his two ninth place finishes, Tom mentioned his other one being Australia earlier this season. That was a race littered with attrition. He benefited from Carlos Sainz's penalty, so he would have finished 10th anyway. If it weren't for the late race chaos, realistically, you'd have both the Alpines finishing ahead of him as well. So that race wasn't on for points, and he kind of slipped in and took advantage of carnage going on around him. This one, he's moved up from 13th to 9th. Yes, he's benefited from another penalty, but he's held his own between the two Alpines, He's fought off the bo- uh, at least the other Alpha Tauri and the McLaren, which in the hands of Lando Norris at least uh, shows strong pace. So I'd say that this is credit where credit's due. I think he's done a solid job for this one. He's managed to mix it. He's only eight seconds off the Aston Martins, so I think it's a, a solid job from Joe. I think for him, it's about building on this and carrying it forward. Take advantage. If we look at the intra-team battle as well, Valtteri Bottas. Had a bit of a stinker, realistically. Qualified 16th, finished 19th. Dropped off a little bit recently, he has. So Joe needs to capitalise and show this strong form and try and get more of those those eye-catching results, uh, such as this weekend. And looking more generally, actually, at the Alpha, Alpha Romeo performance, they are level on points with Haas, a team which I think we can all agree has made excellent drives forward since mm-hmm. their disastrous 2021 season then they're level pegging on eight points and with with Haas the opportunities for for points seeming to come almost every weekend now even though they may not end up in the points we have seen those glimmer of magic moments do you think Alfa Romeo have what it takes to to challenge Haas given I would say also Haas have a very strong driver lineup do you think that there could be another battle brewing here for that coveted seventh place? Yeah, I think the battle's on, and I think it could go either way, really, because Haas either seems to be up there in terms of their grip start position, or they don't really. Um, but if we're going to go and compare that with Alfa Romeo, as you say there, I think the driver pairings of Haas is uh, more in form than Alfa Romeo. And I say that because... With someone like Valtteri Bottas not doing very well this season, the sheen of lesser year has gone off him severely, I'd say. But there's still that driver who was at a, a team, at a constructors winning uh, Mercedes for half a decade. And you can't really discount that. Having that experience, that quality, that ability to deliver under pressure can't be discounted. That being said, he's not turned it on so far and it's all good to go and have talent on paper, but really the results tell on the end of the results are important in terms of points and and so forth so I think the battle is on if I were to place a bet at the moment it would be Haas but I don't think they're going to pull away from Alfa Romeo I think Alfa Romeo will come back into their own post the summer I think previously last uh, season for example they peaked in the first half then dramatically fell away in the second half that being Alfa Romeo I can see something similar happening um, this season just just uh, this one being the other way around versus um, uh, last season really but um, do we agree or not? Well it'd be interesting if it happened because Alfa, that would be a role reversal of Alfa Romeo's season last year wouldn't it because last year they started off came out the blocks flying were quicker than Mercedes Remember all the jokes about Bottas out qualifying Hamilton because he joined Alfa Romeo after leaving Mercedes. And then second half of the season, they got like one point in 11 races or something like that. It kind of went very much downhill. Do I see them beating Haas or Alfa Tauri? I think Alfa Tauri, yes, they will beat 
AlphaTauri. There's the caveat possibly of De Vries getting more into the swing of things as the season goes on. Well, if he's allowed to, if you believe reports from a few weeks ago, Canada's his last race in F1, so we'll see about that because it will be the end of the three-race ultimatum he was given. But I think AlphaTauri they should be. Haas, if we're looking a little bit further ahead, well, zero points ahead because they're level on points. I think that that depends on how Hulkenberg and Magnussen carry on. Hulkenberg had a strong qualifying, didn't he, in uh, in Spain? Eighth became seventh after Gasly's penalty, but then slipped off the radar, down to 15th in the race. Didn't Not much happened. Magnussen as well, low down. Seventh could be on for them, to be fair. Could be uh, could be profitable. Could end up being a profitable uh, campaign later on, towards the middle and the end. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's always a balancing act, though, with these things. Learning for next year and trying to progress this year. And it's, we have to be fair to Bottas in that he has been very unlucky with damage. And in fact, his slow performance this, this weekend was put down to damage as well. They said on, yeah, his underfloor was, was significantly damaged as a result um, of just, you know, unfortunate race start. And it's it's moments like that that kind of ruin it for these lower, lower down teams. Unfortunately, when you are talking about three points a weekend, if you have a bit of damage and you slip down to P P11, then that's absolutely devastating. And that's the difference between incredible success and, and not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to say, though, I think the Haas is actually going to keep P7. I don't think Alfa Romeo can, can necessarily catch uh, or keep where they are right now. I think Haas has got the, the backing behind it. Supposedly, by the way, in a turn of weirdness, Alfa Romeo is going to be pairing with Haas. Um, as yeah. as uh, Sauber, which so which currently are the uh, the underlying team underneath the title sponsor of Alfa Romeo, right? So they're going to be back to Sauber once Alfa Romeo leave, and Audi is coming in, so it will be Audi, right? And but Sauber will still always be there as the engineering firm, the the the, the actual underlying team, the manufacturer underneath that. And so Alfa Romeo is going to go supposedly to Haas, bringing them a whole load of money and, and sponsorship, which would be excellent, I think. So Alfa Romeo could be fighting, you know, with it, well, is, I think, fighting with its future um, team. But I don't think at the moment the Alfa Romeo team, as it currently is, paired with Salva, has got what it takes to, to, to beat Haas. I think Haas has actually finally got the wind in its sails with enough money behind it, enough engineering prowess. I think as sad as it kind of sounds, I think actually Alfa Romeo are going to stay in eighth place, um, which is a bit of a shame, I think, for Bottas, didn't you? Because I feel like what he deserves is an incredible few seasons as he enters the twilight years of his, his racing career. It feels like ever such a long time ago now that we look to the uh, the opening races of last year and Alfa, uh, the Alfa Romeo matching and beating the Mercedes pace. That was a that was a crazy time ago, but mm. hey, mm-hmm. that's how much things can change in just one year. Yeah, absolutely. And credit where credit's due when it comes to Haas, I think the decision to get Hulkenberg in so far is actually paying dividend yeah. because he's being quite uh, consistent, as is Magnussen really, and that is so important in the sort of lower quartile or so of the Constructors' Championship because consistency pays dividend, getting that 10th place, 9th place, 
eighth, seventh, whatever, those small points consistently can really make a huge difference. And if you look at Alfa Romeo, look at Alfa Tauri, look at Williams, they don't have a consistent driver pairing in my view because yes, Joe scored points this weekend, congratulations to him, but prior to that, they are few and far between. De Vries is yet to get going, I'd say as well, Sonoda is not necessarily up there with Magnussen and Hulkenberg in terms of quality, not up there with Bottas either, and Williams are nurturing in a rookie alongside Alex Albon. So I'd say seventh is where they deserve to be in the pecking order, to be honest, and um, I can imagine that being quite an interesting conversation between the employees or the employers and employees of Haas and Alfa Romeo when they team up, because... Yeah, I mean, competing against your future employer and vice versa, really, will be quite interesting. But good to see on that point, actually, if those rumours do prove to be true, that Haas are able to go and solidify themselves as a independent team. Because dare I say, if they become Haas Alfa Romero versus Haas Ferrari, does that make them a more of a standalone team than, let's say... Haas Ferrari are they more akin to Williams fingers crossed because I think the culture of B and C teams is it's good in some way for young drivers in terms of a progression and ladders and the ability to climb through Formula 1 without just jumping from Formula 2 to Formula 1 or getting lucky or paying your way etc but um I do miss the era of independent teams all vying for the same thing and not the political nature of it. So um, if that's true, if there is a bit of a, a severance, if you will, with a, the bigger team of Ferrari, then part of me is looking forward to that, really. And on that forwards-looking bombshell, if you will, that's all we got time for in terms of episode 16 of F1 in Review 2023. Thank you very much for tuning in all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or elsewhere. However you listen, thank you very much. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok, our handle being F1 in Review, and we will be back as ever next week. Unfortunately, there'll be no Grand Prix action, but we will be looking forward to the Canadian Grand Prix, that being the next one on the calendar but to go and bridge the gap between the Spanish Grand Prix looking back at that and looking forward as well to the upcoming a new edition of this season we'll be talking about Lance Stroll how he's done in Spain hinted at the good performance there and Williams as well talked about Logan Sargent there how is he and Alex Albon doing so far this season we'll discuss that more and no doubt a raft of news that will come through rumours and the like uh, between now and then but thank you very much for listening and we will be back next week to talk about all that and a lot more